There is a Savior. What joys express His eyes are mercy. His word is rest for each tomorrow, for yesterday. There is a Savior who lights our My relationship with my parents suffered a serious blow when I grew to be a teenager. I was rebellious, defiant, wanted to do things my own way. I stayed out late, didn't tell them where I was going, who I was going to be with. Of course, this caused a lot of friction between my parents and I. I felt my parents didn't understand me. I thought they were too controlling, but they, of course, were just trying to protect me. If my mother hadn't already been prematurely gray, I definitely would have made her that way. (laughs) For a long time, as I struggled to become an adult and find my way, my parents and I were at odds. When I was 17 years old, I married my high school sweetheart. He was 19. We were young. We were in love, and we were broke. A couple of years later, the first of our three children were born. Our marriage had a lot of ups and downs, basically because we were young, and I was very naive. My husband had a great job, but unfortunately, he made a terrible mistake and was fired very publicly. He disappeared completely immediately after that. He didn't say goodbye. He didn't take clothes. He just disappeared for over a year. It left me and my whole family fractured. Eighteen or nineteen years later, we eventually divorced. Are there burdens in your heart? Is your past a memory that binds you? Is there some pain that you've carried for so long? Then strengthen your heart with his good news. There is a Savior, and he's forgiven you. When my youngest daughter, one of my two middle children reached adolescence, she decided for some reason that I was the enemy. So she spent her teen years confiding in her friends and not sharing much with me. But the real estrangement came when her father and I divorced in 2004. Then I moved to Alaska 
about as far away from Texas as you can get and still be in the same country. I had asked her many times how she felt about that, and she had said it was fine, and I had no reason not to believe her. A year later, when I moved back to Texas, I realized that things were really not fine after all. She had felt hurt and abandoned, and our relationship was more strained than ever. I was truly shocked, for in my own selfishness, I had no idea how she felt. There is a Savior. What joys express. His eyes are mercy. His word is rest. For each tomorrow, for yesterday, there is a Savior who lights our Thank you to uh, Susie and to Bunny and for Deneva uh, for sharing with us and being so open and transparent about brokenness in their lives. They're not done, so they're going to share a little more with us in just a moment. In your worship folder, there is this insert, this handout, and I would like for you to find it because I want to spend the moments we have together talking about what breaks relationships and what builds relationships. And... This morning, I think it's fair to say that in broken relationships in our personal lives, in broken relationships between countries, in fact, I think it's a fair statement to say that wars and all the drama that we see around the world when people and people groups cannot get along, these fractures are caused by the four things or one of the four things that we're going to talk about this morning. And I dare say, if you would be honest enough and talk about or think about your own broken relationships, you could pick out one or two or three of these things and say, that's it. That's the essential problem. So I'm kind of excited about what God's going to do in us today to help us be people who can love one another as Jesus Christ has commanded. Because it's all wrapped up, isn't it, in love God and love your neighbor. And the reality is we're all growing better at loving. And that's the whole point of the 40 Days of Community, to encourage us to be able to build better, stronger relationships, to live out Jesus' command, love one another, love your neighbor. So I'm kind of excited about this. Have you found your uh, insert? You're ready to follow along? We're going to talk about four things that break relationships. I'm calling them rocks and four blocks that build relationships. And the first rock that breaks relationships is selfishness. It's the rock called selfishness. The scripture asks the question, the book of James is a great practical book, and James asks this question in James chapter 4. What causes fights and quarrels? Don't they come from desires that battle within you? And you can underline that word, desires that battle within you. You want something, but you don't get it. 
And part of the problem of Cain was this desire within to be better than his brother Abel, or to that he was unhappy about the, the offering that was not accepted. Another scripture, selfishness only causes trouble. I say amen to that. Now, there are at least a couple of things that push us towards selfishness. If you are an adult and you have raised children, you understand that children are selfish. Get around two-year-olds. We are naturally selfish. In fact, some of you realize Edie Hayes is doing the fellowship hour today, and before you talk to anybody or greet a stranger, you're going to go out there to get one of those homemade cookies before they disappear, right? We're naturally selfish. Say, I want one of those peanut butter cookies. Um, you know what it is to be selfish. I don't think we need to belabor this point. But you and I struggle with selfishness, and oftentimes in our broken relationships, they occur because of our own selfish attitudes and desires. So we're naturally selfish. Not only that, we live in an environment which encourages selfishness. Listen to these advertising quotes. You've already heard these things. Our culture pushes us towards a very self-centered attitude. Uh, well, who is it that says, have it your way? Is that Burger King? You know, it's all about you. Have it your way. Um, we do it all for you. It's all about you. Uh, Sprite, the commercial about drinking Sprite says, obey your thirst. Did you ever hear a more selfish thing said in your life? Whatever your urge is, just obey your urges like an animal. Obey your urge. You know, we even have a city that encourages that. Go to Las Vegas, and what, what, what happens in Las Vegas? So if you go up to Las Vegas and have an affair, if you act immorally, that's okay if it's in Las Vegas, right? Just do what you want to do. Be absolutely selfish. And so it's, selfishness is all around us. It's within us. It's around us. We're encouraged to be selfish. It's not hard to be selfish. It breaks relationships when we are selfish. Um, I read this story about uh, a wife with a cold. This is sort of the progression of marriage. See if this rings true. First year. Baby darling, I'm worried about that sniffle. I've called the paramedics, and we're going to take you over to the Huntington, and you spend a week there, and I know you don't like hospital food, so I've arranged for El Fornaya, and they're going to cater the meals to you, honey. We've got to get you better. First year of marriage. Second year. Sweetheart. I don't like the sound of that cough. I've arranged for the doctor to make a house call. Go on to bed. He'll be over here in a little while. Third year of marriage. Honey, you look like you've got a fever. Why don't you drive yourself to the medicine shop? Get some medicine. I'll watch the kids. Very big-hearted. Very magnanimous. Fourth year of marriage. Honey, be sensible. After you've fed and bathed the kids and washed the dishes, you need to go to bed. Notice the wives are laughing, not the men. What, guys, come on now. Is this hurt? Fifth year. I started to say last year of marriage. That's a, that's a slip. Fifth year of marriage. For Pete's sake, do you have to cough so loud? I'm watching the playoffs. Can't you go in the other room until you get better? Anyhow, uh, somebody said, you know, when I got married, my wife uh, used to bring me the slippers and the dog barked. Now my dog brings me the slippers. No, no, no. <laughs> That's not true. We don't even have a dog. And I used to have a wife, but... Uh, <laughs> Okay, let's move on. You get the idea about selfishness? Selfishness is like a rock that breaks relationships. What's the antidote? What's the block that builds relationships? Selflessness. Remove the selfishness, 
and come into selflessness. Uh, I went to a Christian college, and one day I was taking, about to take an exam in Brother Witten's Old Testament class. He was a, an Old Testament professor, great guy. And I said, Brother Witten, raised my hand. He said, yes, Steve, Brother Steve in Dallas, Texas. You know, it's brother, sister. Anyhow, he said, what would you like, what do you need? And I said, I'd like to read a Bible verse before we take the class. Is that okay, or the test? He said, sure, you know, very spiritual. So here's what I read, King James Version. Listen carefully. Before we're taking a test, I read, Let not every man look on his own things, but every man also look on the things of others. Now, Brother Witten had some words to tell me that uh, I was taking the Bible out of context. That really wasn't uh, the way to use the Scripture. Here's how that verse, that is the, the King James Version, but here's a modern version. You get the uh, idea better. Philippians 2.4. Look out for another's interests, not just your own. Don't be selfish, in other words. Be selfless. Now, going back to the story of Cain and Abel. Uh, couldn't this have happened? I mean, isn't this within the realm of possibility? Cain sees that God's not happy with his offering. Cain sees God is happy with Abel's offering. Why didn't he go to Abel and put his arm around his brother and say, Abel, good job. Man, you hit it out of the park. God really likes your offering. That's great. You know, he's not so happy with me. Uh, could you help me out? I need to improve my offering skills. Why couldn't have he asked his brother that? If he was selfless, if he wasn't so concerned about himself, he could have said that, correct? I mean, that's not impossible. But he didn't. Selflessness is when we give up having to be selfish. Now, in our small groups, um, let me give you a couple of things you can do if you're in a small group that's an act of selflessness, to put, put, some, uh, put our feet on the road here. What can we do that's selfless? If you're in a small group, a selfless act, first of all, show up. You've made a commitment to the group, be there. Now, sometimes you'd rather stay home. I know how that is. We are all busy. You say, oh, why did I sign up for this group? Just show up. That's a selfless act. Secondly, accept those in your group, especially new people. Sometimes we get in our group and we like it like that. We really don't want newcomers. Well, be open to newcomers. Be selfless in that. A third thing you can do that's a very selfless act is you're doing it right now. Listen. Yeah. That's a selfless act. And when others speak in your group and you listen, that's giving up selfishness. That's selfless. Another thing is to offer to help. Maybe you can bring snacks. Another thing is just to be open, confess your needs. Uh, sometimes there's always somebody in a group that, you know, they're... They never seem to really be open about the fact that they had a bad day or a bad week or there's a problem in their life. Selflessness is more open. So let me encourage you to think about, do you have the rock of selfishness that's breaking relationships in your life? And you need to turn that rock into a building block of selflessness so that you can build strong relationships. Now, there's another rock, and this is pretty common. It's called pride. Pride destroys relationships. Let me uh, read to you a couple of, of Proverbs. Proverbs 13. Pride leads to arguments. Proverbs 16. Pride will destroy a person. A proud attitude leads to ruin. Here's a, the message version of that same verse. <laughs> I kind of like this. First pride, then the crash. The bigger the ego, the harder the fall. Pride can break relationships. Now, how would you know 
if you are a pride-filled person? Well, you could always ask somebody. That'd be kind of risky, wouldn't it? Now, you have to have created an environment where there's honesty or they're not going to be honest with you. But here's some ways to think about your own relationships and whether pride is a problem. Uh, how competitive and comparing are you? You always notice in somebody who's got a nicer dress than you, bigger house, longer title, better car, did better on the exam. Are you that kind of competitive person that's always comparing yourself with others to see, am I ahead, am I behind? If you are, that's a prideful act. Another way to think about uh, pride is this. Maybe you're stubborn. You have to have it your way. That's uh, probably an act of pride. In small groups, sometimes... Uh, now, I may be stepping on some toes here, but sometimes in small groups, the, somebody tells a story, you know, they say, here's what happened to me, and then there's always that person who what? Got a better story. It triggers a bigger, better story. And they begin to share their story, and maybe that's just an act of, you know, I can, they're thinking, I can top yours, and they do. That's an act of pride. That's an inability to listen. So pride can be a real problem in relationships, and pride can break our relationships. What's the antidote to pride? Humility. Humility. As as pride breaks relationships, humility builds relationships. How do we define humility? Well, the Bible says this about humility. Live in harmony, be sympathetic, love each other, have compassion, and be humble. Now, there are five things listed there. Harmony, sympathy, love, compassion, and humility. And they all seem to flow out of humility. Another verse from uh, Philippians chapter 2. By the way, this is that great passage in Philippians chapter 2 about, we call it the kenosis passage. It's when Christ emptied himself. Christ is in heaven. He doesn't have to come to rough old earth, but he does. And that's the passage. But before that passage, there are these words encouraging us to be like Christ, to be selfless, to be humble. Here's the scripture. Be humble and give more honor to others than to yourself. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Though he was God, he did not demand and cling to his rights as God. Wow. Humility. Now, the word humility comes from the word hummus, uh, humus, not hummus that you eat, humus, uh, that's in the dirt. Humus is composed of uh, decaying plants, decaying animals. It's dirt. It's, it's fertile soil for growing stuff. But it reminds us of the passage in the Scripture. It says that God created man out of what? The dust of the earth. Now, I'm not trying to say you're dirt. I'm just reminding you about humility. How do you know if you're a humble person? Well, there's a great passage in Romans that helps us have a balance in this. Listen as I read from Romans 12. Paul speaking, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Now, if God has given you some great gift or talent or skill, and you do have gifts and talents and skills, God's not saying ignore those at all. He's saying think with sober judgment, think clearly, What has God called you to do? You know, you're to do it with all your heart in a humble attitude. So humility is not being a doormat. It's not saying, oh, shucks, I can't do anything. That's not what we're talking about. 
Humility is that attitude that Jesus had in giving up his own desires to come to the cross for us, that giving attitude. Now, here are some suggestions or questions that can help you think about humility. And I would say that if you, if you flunk this test, it's just a reminder you're more pride-filled than humble. First question, do you apologize? Do you say you're sorry? I mean, just flat out, do you, have you, when was the last time that you said, I made a mistake, I'm sorry? When was the last time that you straightforwardly, without excuse, apologized to somebody? If you can't remember, is it really that you're that perfect? You haven't made any mistakes? You haven't uh, misspoken or misfired in your actions? Now, you may say, oh, sure, I apologize, but the point is, when did you last actually say, I'm sorry? I blew it in a humble apology. Another question is this, uh, do you listen? When did you actually last listen to somebody? Another question is this, do you, do you serve? When did you last serve someone? Uh, how loving are you? I, I love these two expressions. You've heard them before. When was the last time that you actually practiced a random act of kindness? Or, say the same thing another way, when did you last live out or practice an unprovoked act of love? Just randomly you were kind, you loved someone. Just for no good reason or maybe lots of good reasons. You just did something loving. A humble person is like that. And then one last question. Well, we talked about that. Do you listen to others? So humility is something that really builds relationships. It makes relationships possible. In some sense, it's like the grease on the wheel that makes it roll easily or the oil in the engine that keeps it lubricated. Now, what's another rock? Oh, this is a big one. I really, this would make a great four-part series of sermons because each are huge. Insecurity. Insecurity is a rock that breaks relationships. Um, if anybody here is insecure, would you just stand up? I guess, oh, oh, Glenn stands up. I was just joking, but some of you, you're less secure than you think. You actually did it, you know. I suppose a really insecure person would tremble. Now, the truth is, you are insecure. We mask it in two ways. Some of us are very quiet and shy and withdrawn, and we kind of hang back, and we're sort of masking our insecurity. Others of us are like a steamroller. We're aggressive. We're loud. We, uh, we're out there masking our insecurity. We all struggle with insecurity. And insecurity can break relationships. It can crack relationships. Listen to Proverbs 29. The fear of human opinion disables. Oh, how well I know this one. I could wreck myself if I worried about what 200 people thought I said every Sunday. You know, if I focus on whether or not you approve... I'm in big, pro- big trouble. Big trouble. Uh, insecurity. Adam says, I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Insecurity. <laughs> now, the problem today is uh, everybody struggles with insecurity, but some of them don't struggle with nakedness. And you can walk around Colorado Boulevard and see things, the flesh and skin, that you really don't want to see, right? <laughs> but there's still insecurity in a person. And we all struggle with that. Uh, Cain was insecure about his gift. He became very angry because it wasn't accepted. What's the antidote to insecurity? It's love. Love builds us up. And that's one reason we're emphasizing small groups. 
When you're in a small group with somebody, and when you're at work, when we're in relationship with other people, it's the laboratory to learn to love. And we're really not going to learn that if we're all alone all the time. It's in the bumping and bruising of life that we can practice these things like love and humility and selflessness. Let me read uh, these scriptures to you. Love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it shows that God's love has not been perfected in us. Another scripture from 1 John. All who proclaim that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them. We know how much God loves us. Now, remember, a few weeks ago, I preached a sermon on and talked to us about receiving God's love because we have to know how much God loves us and feel that before we can love others and reach out. So we know that God loves us, and we have put our trust in Him. God is love, and as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. You connect with God, you experience God's love, and it enables you then to extend that love to others, even in tough circumstances. Now, I want to come to the fourth big rock, and this one's huge. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm stressed this morning because I want to say more about each one of these things. This rock is called resentment. Whoo! Resentment. You've never resented anyone close to you, have you? Of course not, Pastor. Resentment. Resentment will destroy you. Look what happened to Cain. He was resentful about the uh, fact that his offering was not received. He went out and he killed his brother. He ended up with a mark on himself for the rest of his life. Now, in fact, let me pause. Maybe we should just do this. Turn to your neighbor and say, watch out, sin is at the door. Thank you. Good job. I say that because this, this word of God to Cain is so powerful. He said, Cain, you can do what's right. You can do well. You've got a great choice here. You can do marvelously, Cain. The offering's really not the problem. It's what you do about it. Cain had every opportunity to succeed and build relationships. But sin was crouching at his door. He went the way of sin. He killed his brother. And his life was a wreck. And this morning, as you think about your life, what are the broken relationships? What can you do about it? Is there resentment in your heart towards someone? The Bible says this. To worry yourself to death with resentment is a foolish, senseless thing to do. Job chapter 5. The Bible says, look after each other. Watch out that no bitterness take root among you. And that's a great sentence because it talks about bitterness, resentment, jealousy. Take root. You know what a root is. It, it, it worms its way down in there. And that's, it begins to grab hold of you and destroy you from the inside out. Look after each other. Watch out that no bitterness takes root among you. For as it springs up, it causes deep trouble, hurting many in their spiritual lives. Resentment can destroy us and the people around us. God said to Cain, the sin of resentment is crouching at your door. Resentment's like cancer that eats us up. It's like a terrorist living in your thoughts. Now, in, in a small group, uh, it's easy to have become resentful. Here are some people that can trigger resentment. Somebody's always late. You just know they're going to be late, and you resent it. Um, someone talks too much and too long. Or TMI. You know about TMI, don't you? Especially at prayer time. 
Too much information. Somebody asks you to pray for their sick relative, and they give you an organ recital. They go on and on about what's sick and what the surgery is going to be, and you're just like, oh, I'll pray, I'll pray. Just be quiet, <laughs> and we can resent that. Uh, someone is dogmatic, and you, you're trying to have an open discussion and share some ideas. It's a tough subject, and somebody just says, well, that's the way it is, you know, and they throw out their opinion, and you realize, wow, this conversation's over. They've shut it down. They're dogmatic. Um, Someone, you know, you, you say, who's going to bring the desserts or the chips and dip next time? And, you know, some guy doesn't bring the guacamole. And you say, man, how am I going to eat these chips without guacamole? <laughs> and you resent it. Now, here's the deal. That happens in small groups. And you say, well, so I'm just uh, going to love them. I'm going to be humble. I'm going to be selfless and ignore it, right? No. When, when we love each other, we are willing to say the hard things sometimes that we need to say. Somebody that's always late and comes in halfway when the group's over, maybe the leader or some other Christian needs to go to them and say, you know, outside the group and say, look, Steve, you're, you always come in here late. You've always got an excuse. And the group kind of has to backtrack and catch up. I, I just, maybe it's me, but I need to talk to you about your lateness. Or maybe the person that dominates the group. You say, maybe it's me, but uh, are you really a jerk? No, you wouldn't. You wouldn't put it that way. You'd do better than I would do. But we don't ignore those things. In love, we reach out to the person and we help them along the way so they're going to be a more loving and lovable person. Does that make sense? So resentment is huge. Now, what's the uh, antidote to, to resentment? Uh, well, remember, we're trying to be better together. And the antidote to resentment is forgiveness. Forgiveness. Now, this is a tough one. You say, oh, this is where it gets hard, really hard. You know, I can try to be selfless. I can try to be humble. I can try to be more loving. But forgive? Forgive? Are you serious? Let's look at a couple scriptures as we wrap this up. In Colossians 3, the scripture says this. You must make allowances for each other's faults. And forgive the person who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you so much, so you must forgive others. Now, the big question is, forgiveness is tough. And we say to ourselves, well, how can I, why should I forgive? It seems impossible. Well, it is impossible outside of Jesus. The truth is, and what the Scripture says as you look at that, that the Lord forgave you, and our forgiveness is based on that foundation. If, if you haven't experienced Christ's forgiveness, you can't forgive somebody. The first thing to do is to come to Jesus and say, Lord Jesus, I am sorry for my sins. I am sorry for my resentment and my pride and selfishness. And you receive God's forgiveness. And you're washed clean. You're given that new heart, that new life. Then, with God's Spirit in you, you are able to begin to practice forgiveness for others. So the first step in forgiveness is to be forgiven by Jesus. That enables you to forgive others. Now, the Scripture also says, let's go to uh, uh, Titus. Paul writes, once your lives were full of resentment and envy, but then Christ saved us, not because we are good enough to be saved, but because of his kindness and love. How did he save us? By washing away our sins and giving us the new joy of the indwelling spirit. All because of what Jesus, our Savior, did so that he could declare us good in God's eyes. Again, that emphasis on God's salvation. Have you experienced it? Do you know new life? Because if you do, that's the key to forgiveness. So the first reason to forgive is that you've been forgiven. But there is another, another reason. And that's because resentment doesn't work. Resentment will destroy you. 
Resentment will destroy the people around you. You cannot live all your life with this huge rock of resentment eating away at you. And so forgive because Christ has forgiven you, but also forgive because you need to do that for your own health and safety and wealth as you live for God. And then a final reason is, at least for me, I'm going to need a lot of forgiveness in the future, so I better practice it. I'm going to need massive amounts of forgiveness as as I live my life. So I better be a person who also easily forgives others and practices it. This morning, we've talked about um, things that break our relationships and things that build our relationships. Uh, Insecurity, pride, uh, selfishness, and resentment. Those those things can, can break our relationships. Are any of them going on in your life right now? Be honest with yourself. Be honest with God. What do you need to do about it? You need to come to God and have Him help you be a humble person, a selfless person, a person of love, a person that's able to forgive others. This morning, it's it's really a time to do business with God. And I'm going to have the opportunity for you to pray and to uh, lift up one or more of these things we've talked about. Maybe it's a rock that needs to be removed. Maybe it's a block that you want to build on. But you're going to have an opportunity just a minute as you think about this to uh, have someone pray with you that God would do a marvelous work in your life. There is a Savior What joys express His eyes are mercy, His word is rest for each tomorrow, for yesterday, there is a Savior who our way. Luckily, my relationship with my parents never completely broke apart. I know the reason for this was because they loved me unconditionally. They prayed for me unceasingly. Their friends prayed for me unceasingly. As an adult, and now a mother of four, I understand just how much my parents loved me. Their love for me when I was being the most mean, selfish, and defiant never wavered. I'm sure they didn't like me at times, but they never stopped loving me. It was their love and faith in God that made sure our relationship never completely broke apart. I, of course, grew up and realized how bad I was acting and how much of what I was doing was not in my best interest how much I was hurting myself. I also realized I was not acting the way God wanted me to. It was the power of my parents' faith, their unconditional love and ability to forgive (laughs) that ultimately changed my behavior because of them and the fact that I had been raised by Christian parents and accepted Christ as my personal Savior as a child led to our relationship mending. 
Lastly, let me say that God knows your life before you're born. This is true in my case because I was adopted at birth. God chose Rex and Barbara to be my parents because he knew no matter how stupid I was as a teenager, how much grief I caused my parents, their friends, my friends, everyone would love me unconditionally and forgive me. I was so sad. I didn't know what to do, but my mom came to me and she said, please come to Pasadena First Baptist with Dad and me. I found Jesus here. He healed my hurt. He healed my spirit. God is love. I started reading the Bible, praying, and tithing, even though I had very little money. At this church, I found friends, I found love, and I found people who really care. The other really good news is, 29 years ago, my new husband walked into my life. Also, um, my first husband and my second husband, before my first husband died, became very good friends. Isn't God wonderful? Psalm 18, verse 1 and part of 2 says, I love you, Lord. You are my strength. The Lord is my rock my fortress, and my Savior. Praise God. Are there burdens in your heart? Is your past a memory that binds you? Is there some pain that you've carried for so long? Then strengthen your heart with His good news. There is a Savior, and He's forgiven you. During the years after I returned home to Texas... I made opportunities to talk with my daughter about her feelings. It was a slow process, but eventually I could see our relationship begin to grow into a more open and loving one. I realized that it was my own selfishness that took me away from home, and I had to show her that I loved her and that I wanted to restore our relationship. Today we're doing well. Although I don't see her often because she still lives in Texas, I know things are okay between us. And I realized that when I left home that God wanted me to recognize my sin, but I was too wrapped up in my own desire for happiness to see the damage I was doing to my children. 
We've been through some distressing times, but I believe my children know that I love them. As for me, I still have to remind myself daily to trust in God's love and guidance and not my own faulty judgment. But I rejoice in knowing that he always forgives me and he never fails. For each tomorrow, for yesterday, there is a Savior who lights away. There is a Savior who a joys express. His eyes are mercy. His word is rest for each tomorrow, for yesterday there is a Savior who lights away. There is a Savior who lights away. Again, thank you to Bunny and Susie and Deneva for sharing how God's worked in their lives. What God has done for them and is doing for them, God can do for you. And I'm sure today there are some of us here that that need prayer. We need to be open about where we're at. Perhaps for the first time in your life, you need to say, God, come into my life and forgive me, be my Savior. Set me on the path to better relationships. I'd like for us to stand now. We're going to sing as a congregation. We have some prayer counselors that, that are waiting to pray with you. And I want to encourage you to do business with the Lord as the prayer counselors come forward. And as we sing, this is an opportunity for you to come and ask God with another Christian person confidentially to to help you where you're at. So let's sing uh, this song that uh, Ted has picked out for us. Take my life and let it be. Let our lives be all that God would have them be. Shall we sing together? Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to Thee. Take my hands and let them move at the impulse of Thy love, at the impulse of Thy love. Take my feet and let them be swift and beautiful for Thee. Take my voice and let me sing always only for my King. Always 
Before we sing that next verse, uh, I'm sure there are some of us that need to pray about relationships. This is your chance to put aside insecurity, to step out and let God be working in your life. So let's sing another verse and don't resist the Spirit of God. Step out and say yes to the Lord. Be prayed for and encouraged in the Lord today. Let's sing. Take my love, my God, I pour at thy feet its treasure store. Take myself and I would be ever only all for thee. good to worship the Lord with you today. We're going to end the worship hour, but God's call to you is not over, and our prayer counselors are going to stay here. I encourage you to come forward. I know some of us are struggling with relationships, and we need to lift that up to the Lord in prayer. So they're going to be here to pray with you. I'd like to give the benediction now and remind you we've got some freshmen's prepared for you. It's an opportunity to practice love, to practice fellowship, and to greet those whom you may not know. So take a moment to greet one another, especially someone that may be a guest or that you're not familiar with. It's good again to worship the Lord with you. As you go forth, go in the power of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit who can change your life as you look to God. Go forth determined to live with love, with humility, with forgiveness in your heart. Go in Christ's peace. Amen.